Hello and welcome. This is the Political Notebook Podcast. I'm your host, Billy Robb. I'm a high school teacher. And I'm Robert Robb, an editorial columnist for the Arizona Republic and Billy's dad. We're going to do an episode today on national politics, and this is going to be uh, what's become a monthly podcast edition where we gauge Robert Robb's level of alarm (laughs) over what's going on in Washington, D.C. on a scale of zero to constitutional crisis. Um, Wow. So we'll, we'll, let's start with some of the White House shakeups. And it's probably no surprise that Trump has had personnel difficulties given his former life as the guy who fired people on a reality TV show called The Apprentice. Not to mention he's got a pretty explosive personality, places a lot of value on personal loyalty, and has a, a tendency to throw people under the bus when, when things don't go his way. But he's been losing key staff at an alarming rate, and he's already replaced uh, the chief. his chief of staff, Runs Priebus, Rince, Rince Priebus, <laughs> pretty early on. Uh, his, pre- his first press secretary is gone. His secretary of health and human services was uh, jet-setting around the country on taxpayer dime. He was gone. Uh, National Security Advisor Michael Flynn is gone. He fired the FBI Director James Comey. And just the past two weeks, we've seen uh, Gary Cohn, his economic advisor, leave. Hope Hicks, his communication director, has left. Uh, Rex Tillerson, Secretary of State, is fired. Uh, Andrew McCabe, uh, on the eve of his retirement, uh, was fired uh, by Attorney General Jeff Sessions. And just today, this is recording on a Thursday, I had in my notes here that General McMaster, National Security Advisor, expected to leave, uh, but this is confirmed today that he is gone and John Bolton will be the new National Security Advisor. So we've been seeing a lot of headlines about chaos, and what's your take, and what ways are these firings, do you think, the most problematic? Well, certainly there is... um chaos that surrounds everything that uh, Trump does. And um, there has been a unusual degree of churn uh, in uh, his staff, Um, not so much in his cabinet. Uh, Interestingly enough, there's only been one cabinet officer that has uh, left. Uh, So there's been stability in the cabinet, which actually runs the departments of government, But within his uh, direct staff, um, there's been just an endless churn. Uh, Some of them uh, are based upon issues, and probably the most important one, and most troubling to me because I disagree with the direction uh, that it suggests, uh, is the replacements uh, in Secretary of State uh, Mike uh, Pompolo, Pompoli, Pom- oh. <laughs> is it Pompeo? Pompeo. Uh, and John Bolton is the uh, National Security Advisor. This is very much a move to a more hawkish um, foreign policy uh, advisory team. Uh, to the extent that Trump wants to to be tough on the international stage. Uh, They are people that will advise him uh, to be tough and identify tough measures. However, uh, they are also both believers in an extensive and aggressive U.S. role in the world. And Trump, the candidate, 
seemed to indicate that he wanted to reduce uh, the extent to which um, the United States was entangled uh, in uh, foreign disputes. Um, so uh, because I agreed with Trump's instincts uh, to be less involved on the international uh, stage, uh, and because these are particularly Bolton, uh, people who advocate bellicose policies, uh, I'm worried about what that means uh, for the way in which the United States is going to deal with a variety of troubling uh, conflicts and challenges on in in the international arena. And the question of why does Trump do something, I think, is always problematic for analysts because you would assume usually a president makes a decision and does something, you assume it's part of some strategy or, or direction. And it seems like sometimes with Trump, it could be just as simple as McMaster was being annoying to him and he just wanted to get rid of him and, and bring someone else in. How is there, is there a strategy or what is the, what is the best interpretation over why these, why with, this direction is with being respect taken? to the two national security positions? I, I think it is a reflection of uh, Trump's desire uh, to have uh, tough advisors offering tough measures as he enters into the negotiations with North Korea, uh, as he um, contemplates whether to withdraw from the Iran uh, nuclear agreement, as he uh, chooses to confront China uh, with respect to trade. Uh, I, his uh, previous advisors had been in the business of restraining Trump. And I think Trump wanted to have advisors who would chart a course of action and give him options uh, that fulfilled what he wanted to do. With respect to the replacement of Cohen by Larry Kudlow, I think it's, a, I think it's more a reflection of the chaos um, Cohen had been caught by surprise by the announcement of the aluminum and steel tariffs, uh, felt that he had been excluded from the decision-making, mm -hmm. and uh, so he <clears throat> decided to resign. Larry Kudlow is not materially different in terms of policy to Cohen. Uh, he is an ardent free marketeer, probably more so than, than Cohen, and equally as free trade as Cohen. So in that case, I think it's more the churn from the chaos uh, than anything that would point towards uh, a change in direction or policy. And, may, and maybe also like a signal of like, don't push back against me that much or else you're going to be gone. You know, it, so it, someone it, goes in there saying like, what's, I mean, what's the point of trying to have a, a conversation or make, make a point on foreign policy? I, I against, don't think against what his instincts are. Um, but his instincts aren't known until they're revealed. I, I do believe. I think he wanted a tougher um, foreign policy staff. So that, with with, with respect to to Cohen, I don't think that Trump decided to exclude Cohen. He the, the process was simply co opted by the protectionists and uh, rushed through a um, announcement before Cohen could have his input. 
if Trump didn't want someone to tell him uh, you need to restrain your protectionist instincts, you wouldn't have appointed Larry Kudlow as the replacement. Uh, Kudlow is um, at least as much of a free trader as Cohen was. We'll see how long he he lasts in that role. It, going back to a point you made about okay, so Trump wants people to be more like tougher on the on the national stage, and he wants to you know have a strong arm in North Korea and against China. But it just seems like those things. I mean, he just had a meeting, basically announcing diplomatic victory with North Korea, just by announcing his willingness to to sit down almost unconditionally with uh, Kim Jong-un in North Korea. So he's setting up this kind of mirage of like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm all about peace and I'm going to be the, known as the guy who's made peace with North Korea. And in the middle of those negotiations, <clears throat> fires a secretary of state or chief diplomat. And he, I don't think he's even appointed an ambassador to South Korea, an ambassador to all, like a lot of other, a lot of other places. So how do you at once, at one, you know, at one side of your mouth saying, I'm going to be, make peace in North Korea by I'm the, I'm the personality that can do it and, and, and bring him to the negotiating table, <clears throat> but at the same time, fire your secretary of state and then bring in these kind of gung ho guys. I know John Bolton is very aggressive in his mindset about North Korea. The <clears throat> belief to the extent Washington insiders have insight into uh, what occurs in the president's mind and <laughs> in his activities. The belief is, is that uh, he wanted to toughen up precisely to better prepare himself to enter into these negotiations, um, that he didn't want advisors that were um, constantly urging him to make concessions um, rather than identifying ways to make a deal uh, truly uh, denuclearize uh, North Korea and be verifiable. So I think he was looking for tougher advice as he enters into those neg negotiations. But I don't think it reflects an insincerity. And when, when, when President Obama, uh, then candidate Obama in 2008, said that he would sit down with the um, leaders of the rogue nations of the world, including North Korea and Cuba and Iran. And, and, hit, and, and Hillary Clinton um, roundly criticized him. As did all the Republicans. As, as did all the Republicans <laughs> as uh, showing naivete. Uh, I strongly defended Obama doing that. Mm. Um, it, it doesn't make any sense uh, for us not at the very highest level to be engaged with people with whom we have uh, conflict and challenging issues. Uh, so I actually applaud the president uh, for being willing to take up what the opening that South Korea and its own diplomacy created uh, in kind of demystifying the summitry uh, world where if we meet with North Korea, if, if resident meets with no North Korea, that's somehow conferring legitimacy to the regime. Um, that's a fairly arrogant, hubristic attitude that meeting with a U.S. president confers legitimacy. It doesn't. Yeah. And, and, and so I actually applaud Trump for being willing to do that. 
Uh, and while Bolton is not my cup of tea, uh, if having tough advisors gives Trump more confidence in uh, a willingness to create a deal and that a deal is worth exercising, then it may end up being a positive step. Yeah, you got to go into that with eyes wide open, though. I, I, to me, having Trump personally negotiate something, I mean, I, I don't have confidence that he even knows anything about our, our policy or has a clear direction or strategy over things moving forward. Um, and the fact that, uh, you know, there's about the... Uh, you know, about the immigration thing during that whole negotiation. It was like, it seemed like whoever was the last person in the room, the hardline immigration guys who got in the, got in the room with him ended up kind of switching him, switching his mind all the time. So isn't it, isn't it with a president like this who doesn't have kind of a, you know, a history and doesn't have a, uh, any experience in, in, in doing this and doesn't seem to, um, be too well informed himself. Aren't his advisors really the the ones that are steering this chaotic, explosive person in whatever any way that they are wanting to take it. Well, if, if it was being steered, it would not be so chaotic. So cl- clearly, <laughs> clearly the energy in the Trump administration ultimately is, uh, is Trump. And I do think the negotiations with North Korea are different than the negotiations over immigration. Although I think all, I, those are all proper concerns. Mm-hmm. Uh, and certainly if I was to choose a president to go in and negotiate with North Korea, uh, Trump uh, would not be on my, on my list. I hired Dennis Rodman. But, but, but he's the president, and uh, no one else can do it. In the immigration discussions, um, the problem was the concessions that Trump seemed to be willing to make uh, would have antagonized his political base. Um, you don't have the same domestic political dynamic at work in the negotiations with North Korea. Uh, and I think the change that he's made in his national security team uh, reflects uh, his desire um, not to be taken to the cleaners. I mean, these are these are people who are going to be very tough to persuade uh, that any deal with North Korea should be entered into. But I also can't imagine uh, that someone like John Bolton would sign up for this gig uh, if he was not uh, willing to see uh, Trump continue uh, with that kind of a initiative to see whether anything can be produced from it. Are we still dependent or reliant on China in, in the go in part of this negotiations against North Korea? And if we, if we do need them as a, as a, as a partner in this, how is the, is a tariff, you know, very antagonistic tariff against China going to affect that with North Korea? China has life, and death leverage over North Korea. Um, North Korea relies on China um, for its energy and food. So if China was to cut that off, uh, North Korea would implode. 
China um, fears a refugee crisis uh, more than it fears North Korea with nuclear weapons. Uh, so the hope that China would apply that kind of leverage on North Korea, I think, has been a vanishing one. Whether they are necessary to m make a deal, um, who knows? I mean, you've got two hugely inscrutable principles who are going to meet. Who knows whether this overture from North Korea is sincere? Um, who knows uh, what uh, the North Korean dictator uh, wants to get? Um, who knows uh, what Trump is willing to give? Uh, so uh, whether China, whether we are jeopardizing our chances of making a deal with China, uh, with North Korea, based upon getting tough with China over trade, I think it's just impossible to, to calculate. But even though I'm an ardent free trader, I do believe we need to be taking steps to protect our domestic markets against um, the state-controlled economic expansionism mm -hmm. uh, of China. So while I'm sharply critical of the rest of Trump's trade agenda, um, I'm not ready to condemn uh, what he's doing with respect to China. I, in fact, I think probably we need to get tougher. And given that China has not been willing to put the screws to North Korea, uh, I don't think it would be prudent to uphold to to withhold what we need to do to protect our economy um, in the hope yeah. that China would do <clears throat> what it has yeah. been able to do for two decades and has declined leverage, to do. Leverage hasn't really worked. Um, so that's kind of gets. So you're kind of picking out, okay, I don't, I don't like all of these tariffs. I'm a free trader. I don't think tariffs are, you know, smart with the steel ones or the aluminum ones he's looking at, but these China, the ones in China, I could support because there's a, there's a, you know, Chinese state state run economy that can be uh, manipulative for our markets. And it's kind of like, well, you can, you can pick and choose kind of things and say, that's good. That's good. That's good. But taken as a whole, I mean, the, the trade policy as a whole, I would agree with you, is is not smart. Um, and it, it's it's counterproductive even to the, his base that, you know, the, the people that he's he's courted. Uh, and I think the same thing with like, okay, you could take one or two of these, and you can look at each one of these firings, going like just circling back to our original topic. You can take these firings, I think, one at a time and say, okay, that makes sense. And like, I can see the logic there. But taking it all together, it just seems like there's like alarming turnover. So if, I guess I'm asking if you just take a step backwards and see like the whole kind of thrust of what's been going on since, his, since Trump's inauguration, how alarmed or how, I don't know, right, what's your alarm level considering all of, all, taking a step back and seeing the direction in which things have gone. The instability in the White House and the 
instability that's being created in international relations, um, I think is a cause of significant concern. And this will, we'll see, we'll, we'll gauge, we'll do one more gauge here. Because um, <laughs> the other thing is the Russian investigation has continued. And uh, Andrew McCabe, he was in the FBI. Do you know what his specific role was? Um, I, I do not know. Um, he was kind of an acting FBI director for a little bit during the transition, but he was a, a, top, a, a senior official in the FBI, was fired on a Friday uh, two days before he was scheduled to retire from the FBI. And this got people worried because Trump was seeming to possibly discredit someone who had talked uh, extensively with former FBI director James Comey, who uh, was fired and is part of this investigation to see whether Trump maybe was obstructing justice by firing James Comey. And McCabe also had said that he had, just like James Comey had, McCabe had been keeping uh, contemporaneous notes uh, to to document his interactions, which possibly could come up as a witness in this Russian investigation. Uh, <clears throat> in addition to that, so there's a question of like, okay, it's vindictive and you're trying to discredit a witness that might uh, be important in this investigation. The other concern is that Trump seems to be possibly gearing up towards firing Robert Mueller. He he tweeted at him and mentioned Robert Mueller's name, the guy who's running the FBI, uh, the special counsel that's running the FBI investigation for the first time. He tweeted his name out uh, for the first time. And so there's a concern that he might be gearing up towards firing that. And Jeff Flake, senator here in Arizona, said basically that's a red line that don't do that because we're going to move towards impeachment if he even said impeachment on uh, his tweet. Um, so, do you, I mean, do you think Trump is considering firing Robert Mueller? And if so, do you think that would spark uh, a Republican backlash that Flake is is uh, seeming to suggest would happen, even impeachment? Well, let me first of all uh, unpack the McCabe firing. Um, this this resulted from a internal investigation and a recommendation from the people who are in charge of ethics uh, in the FBI, um, not, not from uh, Trump or his folks, uh, that McCabe be fired uh, for uh, unauthorized leaks to the press and a lack of candor about that uh, repeated lack of candor about that um, during the internal investigation of it. Now, um, I think it was uh, pretty uh, crappy uh, to fire the guy shortly before he fully vested in his um, pension um, retirement, um, even if you assume uh, that uh, the allegations against him are true. Uh, what he did in the last six months to a year, um, in my judgment, ought not to deny him the benefits he's earned uh, for his previous career, which was uncontroversial. So um, I uh, think it was a rotten thing to do, but I don't think it, it, it was based upon a recommendation uh, from 
non-Trumpians in charge with protecting the integrity of the FBI. So Trump, Trump's tweets bashing McCabe over the last few months haven't well, played he's, it. he's been bashing Jeff <laughs> Sessions, the guy that made the decision with, with I guess. no uh, avail. So I, I, I don't know, but the fuller picture needs to be under, understood. I have no idea. Um, the extent to which Trump is seriously considering uh, firing Mueller. Um, I assume, given the way everybody in Washington has their hair on fire um, over the possibility, uh, that there must be some uh, indication that Trump has given to someone uh, that he is uh, contemplating that. Um, the official spokesmen for the White House have said that that's not under consideration. Um, the um, the in-house counsel for the president has said that's not under consideration. Uh, and um, But uh, it Trump has taken the investigation personally. He's outraged by it. Uh, and um, He's unpredictable, so uh, I, I can't do anything other than to say I find it implausible, uh, but not impossible. Yeah. Wow. Um, and, and, and whether it would trigger impeachment, I think, depends upon who's in control of the House. When it happens. And, and the extent to which... Mueller has found evidence of collusion between the Trump campaign and the Russian interference in, in our uh, elections. As we've discussed before, I find that there is no such evidence and that it is improbable that it occurred. Uh, but uh, And so if he fires Mueller and Mueller is just doing sort of fishing expeditions into into um, Trump's uh, past business activities, um, then Republicans might not be so quick to join Flake in saying this crosses a red line. On the other hand, if Mueller is moving in on making the case... How will we know that? Which, which is which? They, they, they leak all the time. I mean, I don't know what it is about this investigation that we don't know. <laughs> Uh, based upon leaks in in my well, we're gonna we're gonna my, react my, we're gonna react in the firing based on what we think has been leaked or not. Well, my my guess is if Mueller is fired um, and there is evidence of collusion, uh, it won't be ten minutes uh, before it is leaked and and uh, goes public. Uh, certainly, if Democrats are in control of of the House of Representatives. Uh, there will be an investigation with subpoena power uh, over um, the circumstances and articles of impeachment. All right. Well, let's leave it there. It's March Madness in more ways than one, I guess. Uh, and I just want to um, talk about basketball a little bit. Um, I'm hoping no one heard the, the last <laughs> – our, our two predictions, our, our predictions both – faced uh, stunning upsets 
uh, including the first ever number one seed in Virginia that I picked to win the championship to, uh, that you lost to a 16th seed for the first time ever. Um, did you watch any of the games? I did not. I've been watching, uh, I watched the Ramblers, the Loyola Chicago twice. Uh, they're very, very, very exciting team. Uh, I'm not going to predict anything. I think they're playing like tonight. I'm not going to predict anything because, um, I will, uns- I will certainly jinx them like we did last time. Um, but yeah, any other predictions that you want to put on on record here, Billy? I don't even know who's still in the tournament. <laughs> I printed a bracket for us, but I won't. I won't take us through that. Maybe we'll fill out one and post it on Facebook or something. Well, thanks everyone for listening. This is the Political Notebook Podcast. Um, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or any podcasting app, and we'll see you next week.